Welcome to another episode of the Tech.eu podcast with myself, Neil Murray, and Roxanne Vasler. Hi, Roxanne. Hi, Neil. So this week we'll be talking about the new European lobbying group called the European Tech Alliance, the argument for a European startup visa, and Point Nine Capital's Christoph Jens. So let's kick it off with the European Startup Alliance, which is essentially a new European lobbying group. There are already loads of startup lobbying groups, but this one is kind of one of the first ones I'm hearing about that's aiming to represent Europe's scale-ups. The organization is headed by Skype founder and Atomico CEO, so that's Nicholas Zenstrom. Nicholas is a good choice. He's someone who's very experienced in the European scene, very experienced in in coming up against legislation and kind of issues with that, obviously with his background before he was at Skype. He's someone who's been around for quite a while, understands the European scene. So I definitely think he's a wise choice to head it up. I can't really think of anyone who's probably better suited or more experienced for such a role. And so this group aims to share experiences, obviously, of building businesses in Europe with the different policymakers, but also to contribute to the European Commission's single digital market strategy. Looks like there's a number of prominent European companies that are backing the organization, including Supercell, Klarna, Spotify, Blah Blah Car. There's a lot more. VP Andres Ansip, who's kind of leading the single digital market strategy, launched the alliance last week in Strasbourg, France. So you can actually listen to the entire speech on SoundCloud. And it's funny because this is actually very similar to what Allied for Startups does. So they're another group which essentially unites 15 different European lobbying associations, and those groups represent 13 of the member states. But what's also very interesting about this one, I mean, it was it's according to TechCrunch, it looks like this particular group is almost trying to counter a lot of the existing lobbying groups that seem to be very well represented by Americans or companies that are American-founded, run by Americans, that type of thing. So this one's very different in that in order to join the alliance, a company actually needs to be European and not just anyone can join. Yeah, I'm not too up on the Allied for Startups group. From what I can see, this is, like you said, that's more united kind of the lobbying associations in Europe rather than the companies themselves. And this is kind of a lot more company-focused. And to be honest, that it's the perfect time for it. I mean, Europe has never had so many big European companies who are affected by policy, who need to influence policy, who need to engage with it. So in many ways, it makes perfect sense. I can see kind of why there hasn't been one until now, but there are quite a few scale-ups as we see more and more coming in the next couple of years as well. So it definitely makes sense. I understand the kind of Europe-only aspect as well, because there are, like I say, these number of European companies now that are coming through and kind of challenges that kind of apply to these companies that are growing out of Europe, in Europe. So yeah, I think it makes sense and it's a good time for this group to exist. And so now let's turn our attention to maybe a specific area of policy. So backing away from the group and now turning specifically to the argument for a European startup visa. So this actually comes from an argument that was written this week on tech.eu by Josephine Goob, who, disclaimer, she's a very good friend, but she's also head of business development and partnerships at Migrate, which is a platform that aims to help immigration and settling into a new country. 
it's very interesting and promising at the same time to see the number of European countries that have taken steps to launch an entrepreneur and startup visa. So I guess Ireland was one of the first or earlier countries launching their program for foreign entrepreneurs as early as 2010. There have been a number of other countries, obviously, that have kind of followed suit. So it looks like there's about 14 countries total today, including Spain, Italy, Denmark, France. And even though it's not a Schengen territory, obviously the UK as well, there's also been a number of smaller countries that have modified their existing policies for skilled workers. So examples would include countries like Lithuania, at a time, I guess, where U.S. immigration policy is not particularly entrepreneur friendly and Europe is striving to create this single digital market, it does seem very odd that there isn't more emphasis being put on creating a single European startup visa. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the main benefit of this is not only kind of making it one suit to or, you know, a lot easier in terms of the individual countries and in terms of looking at Europe, but also because many of the existing schemes that exist right now are awful anyway. Um, so it's not even the fact that, oh, it would be a bit more joined up. It's the fact that it would be actually one which could work. I mean, just talking about my example or experience when I moved to Denmark. So before I kind of fell into tech journalism, I, I was an entrepreneur and I moved from the UK to go and live in Denmark. And it was so hard for me to move there so hard for me to be allowed to stay in the country I never even realized that they would have to do all this paperwork or it would even be an issue so I just rocked up you know I've got two half Danish kids so I kind of have a connection to the country but because I ran my own company I had all sorts of trouble in the end I basically just bamboozled them I think with paperwork and kind of all this and this I was only allowed to stay there for three months initially and then I think I eventually kind of got my visa one week before the three months was up. So technically, I had to leave the country the following week. And this was all because I was an entrepreneur with my own company. And because I had to prove I had access to this capital or whatever, or because I didn't have a job, it, it was almost like they couldn't understand what an entrepreneur or startup was or, or kind of even have any understanding for that. So in my opinion, I, I think that this would be very good, but not only because it, it would connect, but also because the kind of visa programs or the schemes that exist in the countries right now are really not great anyway. Yeah, and it's actually very interesting to hear you say that because you're going from one European country to another. It's yeah. not like you're coming from outside of Europe. I've had similar visa issues, but also I've never actually been a founder. I've kind of taken a, a shortcut being an employee for different countries. But coming back to essentially the U.S. versus, you know, the, the rest of the, the world, essentially, when it comes to attracting entrepreneurial talent, they're obviously losing a lot of these entrepreneurs, but so is the U.K., and I guess the fact that you would leave the UK as well is just proof that, that this is happening. The existing scheme that the UK has in place is actually very tough, even though it's gotten, you know, kind of a lot of visibility. In 2013, 70% of all people who applied for the entrepreneur visa in the UK were refused. It looks like people who actually want to apply for that specific scheme need to show at least 200,000 pounds access to that type of capital in order to be granted. The, the entrepreneur visa in the UK. That's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> what entrepreneur kind of has access to 200,000? I mean, not many, especially when you're, you're at an early stage. Um, so like these type of rules are just, they're completely stunting entrepreneurship. They're no good to it at all. They're also just not relatable, like as in they don't even understand the situation. So I think it's 
no uh, surprise to see that these type of schemes are failing. This is a slightly different scheme, but like in, in the UK, we had Tech City UK, and they were also doing kind of visa applications, and they were allowed 200 visas by the UK Home Office for entrepreneur, for digital talent uh, to come into Tech City UK. So they were allowed 200, and they gave seven. And the reason why they only had seven was because they only actually had 10 applications in the last 12 months. So clearly people are not even thinking about coming to the UK to use these type of visas because the conditions around them are so bad. But also because I think a lot of countries don't realise that you don't just try and accept talent. It's These days you have to compete for it as well. And by having these poor conditions like Denmark have, like UK have, you're going to lose out on talent. You can't just say, oh, yeah, we're, we're kind of open for talent. You have to go out and compete for it, just like companies do. And I think countries will have to kind of realize that. And a good example of that outside of Europe is obviously Chile, with Startup Chile. Uh, so they really understand that. And they kind of provide startups coming over with equity-free capital, a temporary one-year visa, you know, allow access to mentoring, etc. So they kind of give tangible benefits to attract people to the country in addition to a visa. So they don't just make it easy, they also make it better as well. So for me, a kind of European startup visa, which had kind of better conditions for entrepreneurs and allowed them not only to kind of operate and see Europe as a whole, but actually to kind of attract entrepreneurs as well, would be a really, really valuable thing. So students are also leaving because of difficulty uh, with schemes allowing them to stay and work. The UK cut its post study work visa several years ago and has since seen an 88% decline in the number of students that stay in the country after completing their degree. So that obviously is going to impact a local talent. I think it's quite sad if you're allowing people to come over and study in your country and then not capitalizing on the fact that they've built those networks, have that possibility to actually build something locally. You also have a number of European countries that are moving forward to capitalize on the talent that's leaving the UK. So I think France, for example, launched uh, what it's called the French Tech Ticket program for foreign entrepreneurs that includes the visa, a little bit like what you mentioned for Startup Chile. So it's, it's got the visa, but they're also providing access to office space, administrative support, mentoring, and more. I do think it's still early days for the program, still a little bit light, essentially, in what they're offering, given that you know it's getting to be such a competitive space. But um, the program has actually received over 1,000 applicants for 180 spots, so that's not too bad. I think actually we've had Europe competing a lot with the US up until now, but it may actually have to also compete with the new Israeli startup visa. So this was actually just kind of announced uh, this past week. It's set to be very attractive at last two years. And I think they're really hitting the nail on the head with entrepreneurs that want to become essentially the next ways. I think being in a country like Israel with such amazing expertise, technical talent, what have you, I think that's going to be a very attractive option. Yeah, and I think that exactly drives my point home as well as the, these examples that you give of France and Israel. They kind of realize that you do have to compete and not just accept. I think the countries like this have grasped it a little bit better and will ultimately attract talent easier and then benefit from that. Yep. And then just back to our initial point, I mean, it's funny that all these countries are doing it independently. Maybe we'll see Europe really coming together as a whole to do something as a single market, what it's striving to be in the upcoming months. So now let's go to Point Nine Capital partner, Christoph Jens. So we always like to feature somebody, and I think he's a great person for us to talk about this week. For anybody who doesn't know Point Nine, 
They call themselves the Berlin-based Angel Venture Capital, which I think it's kind of a cute way to present their fund. They closed a third $60 million fund earlier this year. They've done some really great investments. Actually, I didn't know their portfolio that well, but they've got companies like Algolia, Couchsurfing, Zendesk, Delivery Hero, and Super Popcorn, which is the company we mentioned last on the last podcast that was coming from Bulgaria-based Launch Hub. So Christoph is co-founder and managing partner of the fund alongside Pavel Chudzinski. I hope I'm saying his name right. I know Pavel pretty well, but I can never get his, his last name <laughs> correct. So I've actually met Christoph two years ago at a conference in France called B2B Rocks, where he was obviously on the SaaS panel. And I think for anybody who doesn't know him uh, or know his blog, it's called The Angel VC. It's one of the leading SaaS blogs out there, I think. Yeah, it's really valuable. And actually, one of the main reasons why we were talking about Christoph this week is because actually I had the pleasure of meeting him and doing a fireside chat with him on Thursday in Copenhagen. And the reason Christoph was in Copenhagen and, and was kind of the main talk of the evening where the Copenhagen scene gathers is because he was the first investor in Zendesk, which is, you know, arguably the biggest success out of Denmark, at least in recent years. And it was a really, really good interview with Christoph. I mean, he's a very intelligent man. And like, he, he clearly understands the SaaS space exceptionally well. Like you say, his blog is really good for insights into that as well. Um, but I just thought I'd mention some of the, the kind of interesting things that came out of our talk. Firstly, I thought it was kind of funny that he essentially called his investment in Zendesk lucky. It was his first angel investment. I mean, how's that for a first? That investment? is pretty lucky. It is pretty lucky, but at the same time, I mean, he must have, I mean, the, the end result is lucky, I guess, that he had that with the first one. But I, I, I was like, well, I hope your like reason for the investment wasn't so lucky, if you know what I mean. Like, there must have been something he saw in them. So I got him to elaborate on that a little. But yeah, I mean, to have your first angel investment turn into ultimately a billion dollar company is pretty impressive. I asked him kind of because Zendesk moved to the valley very, very early. And I asked him whether if he felt that that would be the case now. Or can, is it easier for us to build companies in Europe now compared to when it was then? And actually he said he still thinks like a company as big as Zendesk probably did need to move or still need to move, but probably not as early, which is fair enough. In terms of his blog, a couple of kind of interesting posts that, that have been kind of very, very popular. He has this post where he talks about five ways to grow a $100 million revenue business uh, in yearly revenue i'd highly recommend anyone reading that post whether you're in SaaS or not it just really breaks down how to look at how you need to make revenue and just the different ways that you can look at it and figure out kind of what company you are and what product you're selling it's really really good like a lot of his posts really kind of deconstruct a lot of things and finally i just thought here we talked of course we talked a little bit about unicorns and you know all the buzzwords and i thought he actually said that he knows several companies that have got a billion dollar valuation just for the sake of being able to call themselves a unicorn so likely above one billion which is very interesting and have really kind of pushed for that so i thought that was quite interesting and kind of i i suggested that was kind of quite detrimental in the long term but it was interesting that he said he knows several examples of companies that have done that and kind of his investment strategy is that they're hunting for dragons and hoping for unicorns because of course if your strategy is finding unicorns it's going to be pretty futile so 0.9 capital are hunting for dragons which means an investment which will return the fund but of course hoping for unicorns and they have zendesk and they have delivery hero as well but overall yeah it was a really insightful conversation with christoph and i would urge anyone to to go and check out his blog the angel vc 
But that's about it for this week. You can, of course, find us on iTunes and SoundCloud. You can give us feedback. You can go to tech.eu where the podcast will be hosted and leave a comment. Or you can reach out to us on Twitter at Neil S.W. Murray or at Roxanne Vaza or at tech underscore EU. And we'll be back uh, same time next week. Thanks, Roxanne. Thanks, Neil. Thank you.